0: Hello and welcome to the latest of the Read All About It podcast episodes, where Chris Dolan and I just chat about some of our favourite books. We've talked about book adaptations, we've talked about crime books, we've talked about the American novels, and our subject today is funny books. Chris, you chose uh, this topic. I'm going to kind of sarcastically thank you because it, <laughs> it was a tough choice for me to get five funny books, but what was it made you choose funny comic uh, novels for us to talk about? Partly because I
1: think it is difficult because, I mean, I think we've actually had the same conversation about all these categories. What do we really mean? But actually, one of the, I, I kind of worry at times that, you know, reading uh, can, can sound kind of poor-faced, you know. I mean, most of the time we all read for the sheer joy of it. And I think we all love books that are funny. And I think probably, Neil, if you back through all the, you know, the crime novels, the great American novel, all the stuff we've talked about already, I, I guess you hear us say that each of those are also quite funny. And so... Almost any novel I think could possibly do. If it makes you laugh at any point, anywhere, then you know, it probably could qualify to be in a funny book. But we'll talk about the different types of books as we go through. But you know, I agree with you once. I, I thought it sounded like such an obvious idea, but when I went to choose mine too, I thought, hmm, what do I mean by funny novel? <laughs>
0: what do I mean? I don't know. No, I, you know it's funny because you know, sometimes when we've done the topics and off the top of my head, you know, see crime novels or even American novels. I could think of a few that I actually had to get through forensically through my bookshelves. But then actually... I did start to pick out a few, and I thought, oh, that's right, that was funny. Yeah. I don't know if maybe, maybe most of them haven't left as, as much of a mark on me, but actually, once I kind of delved into it, I, I was able to choose the Okay. I mean, I think one, one of the books that's come up through our conversations, is one of the ones I picked way
1: back as one of my favourite books, but possibly my favourite book of all time, is Don Quixote. Again, you know, I mean, people... Yeah, I, mean, I, never, I never read
0: that. I read Don Quixote. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you posh? <laughs> it's just it's the Spanish lessons you've been giving me <laughs> there you go, there's a joke already see, Quixote's funny <laughs> Listen,
1: I mean, a, a lot of people, you, you thought that too, you know that a lot of people don't think it's a funny book, but I mean it's a
0: great work of literature and it's funny I I remember and again, I read it just at the at the start of 2020, I was away on holiday in Lanzarote for a week and you had recommended the book to me so I thought you know, it's a big chunk of a book and I thought, right, I'll go and I've got a bit of time and I've read book one, which again, you'd, you'd suggested to me, you don't need to read book one and two together and it was laugh out loud funny and there's very few books I've ever read where, and I'm sitting on the beach and there's just some, some of it's proper slapstick and it blew me away. First of all, it was really funny, but it blew me away that this book, is hundreds of years old and it still was making me in the twenty first century laugh, and Don Quixote, or Don Quixote, is a brilliant comic character. So Sancho Panza, he's his sidekick. It's it is the classic comedy duo, and some of the some of the scenes that he writes are just they are just hilarious. It's funny, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm slightly obsessed with it,
1: but just going through the books I chose, I, I, again, I did the same, exactly the same as you. I came up with the idea and I thought, oh, what do I mean? I've got books. And I just went through my, my bookshelves and, uh, and not, I don't have necessarily all the books, but one book could remind me of another book. But one of the things I think they all have in common is they, I think all of mine, and I suspect it was the years, all owe some to Don Quixote. Or, or rather, Douglas is such a fundamentally funny book. You're right, it's the Ant and Deck, it's the and Wise, it's the Double Eye, it's Banana Skin, it's funny jokes, it's puns. It's all those things.
0: And I you, mean, you do realise people are going to be listening to this and, and thinking, did Crystal and just say Morkum and Wise Aunt, Aunt and Ant and Deck in the same sentence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah could you edit out that Ant and Deck? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, listen, it's like, it's like all these things, everything's subjective because it's like the world of comedy. You know, if nobody found Michael McIntyre funny, how do you know you're better than some people? That's what I always do. (laughs) Exactly. Somebody somewhere must do, though. Well, it's it's one of life's great mysteries. But anyway, anyway, we we shall move on to the the books that we've chosen today. And again, it's uh, five from you, five from me. We'll start with your first book choice, which is uh, Sider with Rosie by Laurie Lee. Yeah, so as as you know already, um,
1: this book, not this specific book, but Laurie Lee himself has been obsessing me for well over a year now in fact some has been obsessing me since I first read Side of the Rosé when I was about 12 or 13 so I'm just I'm just really interested in what he did and I actually went down to where Side of the Rosé was based because in some ways that, that we're breaking the rules here this isn't a novel it's a memoir to be honest I think I think Laurie Lee's just so in love with the idea of of exaggerating and embroidering stories, uh, more or less, as a novel. I'm, I'm pretty sure very little of it's true. But I went down to the Slad Valley to, to, uh, in Gloucestershire, where, uh, where Side of the Rosé is based. So I, I feel very, very close to this book. So in one way, it's not a laugh out loud a joke book. It's not at all. I mean, it's a memoir. In some ways, it's, there's some dark moments in it. I think in all the books that I've chosen, there are dark moments. I think the ones that I know of of yours, have have a darkness too. But this... I, I include it in funny books because there are really funny bits, there are really just great characters in it, um, like the, his, his school chums and the crazy guys. So basically, it's a, it's Lottie Lee's memoir of growing up in a small country village in England in the 1920s, just after the, the First World War. He wrote it in 1959, but it's come back to the 1920s. And it's about a disappearing world, a world before motor cars, a really rural background and, uh, and childhood. And it's all these wonderful characters. Uh, Cabbage Stump Charlie. There's a, there's a boy called Albert the Devil. No, he's not. Albert Devil is a, a wanderer, a beggar um, who, who's, who's deaf. Um, there's all these cre- incredible characters. A, a, a clown called Percy from Painswick. There's all these great characters. and Just kids that he grew up with and the mad teachers he knew. His mother is phenomenal all the way through, Annie. You just love his mother. His mother's forever screaming or shouting or singing. She's just one of these incredibly lively women that you wish you'd known. And she's always doing mad things. But one of the things that I think it does is make it a, a comedy book, some co- quite kind of physical comedy. And I, I don't know if this is true, but I don't care. But he says he lived on the top of the hill, and that's right. Kind of, that He lives about halfway up the hill. I saw the house was based, in, based on. And if you wanted to go down the hill into the bigger town, um, which is Stroud, I think, it's it's quite a steep hill. And apparently his mum used to go on the family bike, but she couldn't really go. She could only go downhill in it, and she didn't know how to stop it. But they knew at the local co-op when they heard her screaming outside that one of the boys had run out and stopped the bike just in time. <laughs> and then I never got off. So there's all of much better than they did. There's beautiful, funny stories of extraordinary characters. How much is true, how much is not, I don't know. But it's it's both a funny book, but just an incredibly heartwarming book. You, know, you just wanted to be alive at that time in that place.
0: Because I've bought *Side of With Rosie*, and also bought as I walked out one midsummer morning. Because my intention is to read them both before your book comes out, which is *Everything Passes*, *Everything*, *Everything* remains freewheeling through *Spain*, *Song in Memory*, which is due out later this year, and. Thank, oh, you. Thank, to you. Nice to <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, you. That's what I need. That's very Thank you. Well, I read your text about it, so. <laughs> <laughs> and if people search on uh, YouTube, you'll be in conversation about the book as well, a kind of virtual Ullapool Book Festival, because that's where the book was meant to be launched. But I know that the inspiration is very much with Laurie Lee. So I want to just get that, that, that kind of almost that foundation before I, I read your book, because I think I get the feeling that it will just enhance my experience of, of reading your book as well. I think you'll love it. I mean, quite apart from all that, yeah, it should, should
1: sort of help kind of just you of know, put what it is I'm, I'm kind of interested in the book. But I think you'll love it. I think it's, it's just, he's it's such a great writer. Uh, it's, it's nothing, he's it's just a bit Lee. He's We talked before about um, William McAvaney and to be honest, one of the, the books I may well have put in a funny book as well, despite it being a hard-bitten Glasgow uh, crime novel Laidlaw is all Laidlaw novels are laugh out loud because he's such a great summer-upper of things little epigrammatic sentences and so is Laurie Lee so I think you'll find yourself falling about laughing despite some quite dark stuff in it I mean there's a dark moment where there's a, a local kind of well-off uh, young woman uh, who's who commits suicide and is found in a pond by the, the local movement and it's just dark and it's true There's at one point uh, there's the, the, the young boys that are Plan, thank God they don't pull it off, but they plan an attack on a young local girl. So there's all sorts of kind of darkness in there too, but there's a certain kind of beauty, and by and large, a book leaves, leaves a smile on your face. Ian Feedl always burst out laughing.
0: My first choice in these funny books or comic novels is Catch 22 by Joseph Heller, and this book, and again, I've probably I, I have told this story before, and I actually have the copy that I uh, kept at at the end of fifth year at Tumble High School in Bishop Briggs, which uh, which finished in May, June 1983, and this was a book that our English teacher at the time, Peter McGee, had given us. He gave the boys Catch-22, he gave the girls Sons and Lovers, and from the first sentence, I think everybody, all the guys in the class were completely in love with the book. It's just, it's funny, it's profound, it's, it's you know, one of the best anti-war books ever, you know, the, you know even I think very early in the book, one of the chapters, because all of every chapter about all the different characters, and, you know, you meet Major, 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 who becomes Major, <laughs> so he becomes Major, 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 even just things like that, it's just a, a ludicrous side to it, but I just, I always have this memory of I can't even remember what subject we were in it was say just say for argument's sake it was geography and the teacher hadn't turned up so whoever came in to keep the class had just said right just get out whatever book you're, you're reading and about 10 of us who were all in the same English class got out catch 22 and sat there quite the thing reading and laughing throughout it and it was probably the first book as a kind of young adult which it kind of had that impact of me of just how magical books are and could be and it's an incredible and I, I read it I think about a year or two ago on his holiday, and it still makes me laugh. Well, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, even just the bit you told me about there, that, that's sort of quite
1: funny. And I remember them. I read the book, I, I never got a poll. I was one of those ones, one of the very, very few people. I just never understood what, why it was funny. I just i just never laughed at it. There's two books, they're both around, I think we, we tend to read them at the same time Catch 22 and Catcher in the Eye. And and I never got either of them. Um, Who do you call the the, the character and in, in catching the eye?
0: Owen Caulfield.
1: I mean, I just I just wanted to I just wanted to stick the head in them. I mean, that's I <laughs> so annoying. Uh, and I, I found that'll be a bit too. I found everything in the book really annoying. We
0: could we could actually that could be a, a topic for a future podcast. The cat the characters you've wanted to <laughs> stick the head in. <laughs> I've got a number of them. <laughs>
1: so yeah, I mean, maybe it's one of and again I've never tried to read it again. I mean, it really did. Put me off so much. I did try once to read catching an eye when I'm in my 20s and maybe my 30s, and I felt exactly the same. But again, I thought I, I just, I just, just, just do my head in this this book.
0: That sounds like Joseph Heller texting you <laughs> beyond the grave just to dig you up. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm
1: done for now. So I must, I must try it again at some point. I, it's, it's a subject comes up every now and then. in the cycle across Spain it came up. And I have to say this, I never liked uh, Catch-22, and both Liam and Eddie's book fell off their bikes and went, what? Who doesn't like Catch-22? <laughs> I seem to be the only person in the world.
0: Because there's two, there's two parts to you it. Know, there, there's the humour, I think, I think, in, in Catch-22, which is just, it, it really engages you. But there's, there's two aspects that run throughout the whole book. And you know, what happens to, to Zarian when he was out on a mission and you find out why that's had such a traumatic effect on him and the kind of at the heart of the novel, but also what the catch is in Catch-22. And when you find that out, it's just, for me, it's just, it was extraordinary when I read that. It is a funny book, but it's also, I think, it's really, it is really profound, I think, you know, again, in, in books that kind of banality and the futility of war, I think Catch Twenty Two is is right up there. It's a, a farce, but it's a I think it's so brilliantly written. But obviously, it's like everything else. If you if you, if you engage, and you don't engage with it. Then it's if you don't if you don't get into it at the start, then it's difficult. Then I think you're right, I can
1: remember that more about the book. And I remember thinking, "Oh, it's actually quite a quite a dark book." That, that's my memory of it. And and the humour didn't work for me for some reason. So I mean maybe maybe it was, I read it. I was just not the right time. I was a bit too young for it. Whatever. Cause I remember it being dark. I remember being amazed that everybody else said it was hilarious, and I, and I didn't quite see that what all was the kind the, of the, the horror of it. So it's probably a much better book than I remember. It's just I didn't I didn't find it funny, even though that's kind of its, its main selling point.
0: If you have another go at it, then Joseph Heller will not text you again, and <laughs> <laughs> chase you up for it. We're on to your next book choice, and it is a novel. In fact, I think it's Dickens' first novel, which is the Pickwick Papers. Yep,
1: Um, and I think probably the first Dickens I ever read. It's certainly the first Dickens I ever enjoyed, and I'm pretty sure the first one I ever read all the way through. I think probably started various things with David Copperfield and Great Expectations, which later on and back to it, and it was Pickwick Papers that really got me to like Dickens. There's a kind of a novel which... I think it's probably not that far away even from Cash Twenty Two actually. But kind of a group of people, uh, quite often a group of guys. Uh, there'll be female versions of it, but you think of, you know, three men in a boat, I think of Don Quixote and Don and Sancho Panza, but the idea of a bunch of guys and they're all slightly idiotic. So the the Pickwick paper is eighteen thirties. Dickens, a young writer, uh, is serialised. It was never meant to be a novel at the beginning. It was turned into a novel later on. It was a series of short stories about a bunch of kind of hopeless but pleasant Londoners. And it's a love song to London. It's just, the, the, basically, the Pickwick Club is uh, Samuel Pickwick, an older, lovely old man who wants to, do, wants to show people around London. Um, so it's a great introduction to London. You ever go to London and it was almost 200 years out of date, day? But it's a, it's, it's a brilliant thing about It's a great uh, book about uh, about London. But they're all kind of slightly mad. So they, they all think they're great at stuff. They all think they're either, you know, fantastic sportsmen or they're they're really politically profound or they know the answers to everything or they're great poets or they're fantastic artists. And they're all useless. <laughs> and you know they're all useless. And each of them know the other one's all useless, but they're still convinced that they themselves are great. So that's all really funny. Uh, I and mean, it's all a bit kind of knockabout humour. They're forever like Don Quicks and Sancho Pants that get into all kinds of mad uh, escapades and are getting punched up and knocked about, and they end up in jewels, but totally not by mistake. All that. So it's, I, I found it very exuberant, very life-affirming. I was surprised, again, a bit, a bit like Quixote, that something so old could be not quite as old as Quixote, but still be actually fall about funny, and it is. It's got that kind of quick city banana skin stuff to it. But again, like all comic novels, it's also quite dark. I mean, at one point it's a long time since I've heard of Paul, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Samuel Pickwick himself ends up in a debtor's prison, which of course is one of the most inspired, inspiring things for Dickens. Dickens is forever writing about debtor's prisons because he himself experienced it as father's when he was a child. Um, so there's still an anger
0: there, and a bit of injustice and everything else,
1: but it's kind of played through these these lovely, mad old guys in their daft club and the stupid escapades.
0: Because what I love, also, again, he was getting paid, almost like by, by the, the word, and that, the Pickwick Papers, was uh, serialised in a periodical, and I think he wrote a lot of his work like that, and, you know, it's hard to imagine. I think Alistair McCall Smith tried it with 44 Scotland Street, when the Scotsman would do it as a, a kind of very old-fashioned episodic in, in every week in the newspaper, and, and obviously it, it then becomes collated into like this novel, but he he builds up that audience who are like, waiting with bated breath for the next chapter, almost like a kind of a soap opera of the day, where they just sit th- the kind of East Enders drums at the end of it, and then they have to wait to the next chapter, as it were, that he, he writes. Absolutely, and I think it's one reason why Dickens probably, and, and not just Dickens, but that was quite common
1: in the 19th century, the and it happened in France and Spain and elsewhere as well. It was the way books tended to get published, because we be, got popularity through magazines and newspapers. And a way, I think it's one of the things that gives us our kind of form of the novel now, uh, that kind of whole... It's like the soap tough hanger, as you say, uh, and then you have to go to the next instalment. So I guess you're from chapter to chapter. So yeah, it's hugely influential. It really works for the Pickwick Papers because it's really an amalgamation of short stories. There's not really one overarching big long story apart from these guys, and particularly Samuel Pickwick himself, Noah Hamstone. But by and large, it's a group of mad escapades. You can read it. It's, it's a great book to read like that because it's quite a holiday book. Uh, I mean, you need you, you know an escapade at a time. So it's it's great for that too. It's it's very readable and it's very accessible. Uh, and it's a great way if you don't know Dickens to to start uh, start with Dickens.
0: The first Dickens novel I read was Oliver Twist. It's always that's always. A sentimental value to me. I've always loved that one best. But I, I did go through a period where every holiday, you know, when, particularly before the advent of the e-reader Kindle, when I was just packing a few books, I would always one of the books I would always be a Dickens novel because I always it just became a kind of holiday tradition. That would be one of the the novels that I read on holiday. And it's again, it's something I quite like to get back into because I think those are novels certainly you want to read again. Absolutely.
1: And I was just saying earlier, and even in his darkest novels, Dickens is always funny. Uh, not always funny, but I mean, there's always funny elements. There's always mad over-the-top characters. You know, he's always playing with names, all these crazy names he gives people. There's a slight zaniness, even though he's writing social realism. There's a slight zaniness all the time to, uh, to Dickens, which I really like. Um, so all these characters in otherwise serious novels, and Mr. McCawber springs to mind, you know. And these kind of wonderfully likable,
0: funny characters. So even in serious stuff, I think there's, there's nearly always a bit where you smile or laugh. And interestingly, when, when I was just doing some research ahead of this, and it was some it was some ridiculous statistic that they reckoned, probably somebody has actually done a study in this, of Dickens created something like twelve or 13,000 characters in his work throughout his life because it's populated by all these characters that, that again, if, if somebody was going through it now in, in 21st century and looking for more sparse novels, a lot of these characters would be considered superfluous and cut out. But to be able to create... That, that many different characters is just, it's actually incredible. Everything about Dickens is like unbelievable. I mean, so he, not only did he create all that and come
1: out of like 42 novels or something, he also, we, we haven't really come last time, he did write or co-write plays. He ran a theatre. He did some acting. He worked with actors. He ran a political magazine. He ran an arts magazine. <laughs> he had a massive family. He had time for affairs. outside of a massive family. And on top of all that, apparently he walked Eight miles every morning. So as well as doing all, like I can fit in an eight-mile walk, and then come back and do all that. There's something just like slightly kind of, you know, mythical about Dickens altogether. So as well as his writing, the man himself is endlessly fascinating.
0: It just shows you how much you can get done that day without Netflix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We uh, we moved from Charles Dickens to more modern times, and the next book I've chosen is The Van by Roddy Doyle, which is the third book in the Barrytown trilogy. And, and this is one of the books where, when I was just looking through my bookshelves, and it just suddenly jumped out at me. And I think you could have chosen either The Commitments, The Snapper, or The Van, each of which is really funny. And one, one thing that always uh, struck me, and it stuck with me, I, I just thought the, the van was hilarious. It's the it's Jimmy Rabbit Senior takes the kind of central role. It's obviously his son is the, the kind of manager of the commitments. And Jimmy and his pal, they get made redundant. So they buy the chip in with a, like the redundancy money and buy a, a chipper van, a, a fish and chip van. And they kind of ride the cre- crest of the wave of the, the feel-good factor of Ireland doing well at the 1990 World Cup. And I think I mentioned before, when we were talking about the commitments and the book adaptations one, a bit what I loved about the commitments was effectively it was, it read like a, a screenplay. There was, just, it was all it was, was dialogue. And like a lot of Roddy Doll books, there's a wee bit more descriptive language in terms of the van, but a lot of it's just the dialogue and it's just so brilliantly written. And that is a is a hilarious novel. But I, again, you could read any or all three of those, of the Barrytown trilogy, and, and guaranteed to laugh.
1: Now, when I saw your list and you put the van, I remember uh, I read all three in the right order at the right time. And uh, The Van, I thought, was the best as well. I thought they are all fantastic. The, the three just go, I'd say to him, you read them, and read them kind of roughly in the order, because it just kind of works, I think, because it's like one big, long novel. Uh, the, the Snappers, I remember, is a bit darker than the other two, but but also funny. But, yeah, he's just such a funny writer, isn't he? And, again, it's that thing, not, not that far away from the side of Rosie in a way, still just uh Still just depicting this kind of really kind of likable... People you like, despite all their idiocies and all their mistakes and all the stupid things they do and all the things they get wrong, you just kind of like these people and you want to be around them. And I think that the Barrytown trilogy is just amazing for that. You just wish you were there.
0: What I like about his, his novels, and, and it was the same when Paddy Clark, ha ha, which is one of my favourite novels, is there's moments of it which are just hilarious, but there's also moments of, you know, real either sadness or profound moments or real moments of. Beautiful writing and the vans like that as well. Although it's it's a story of uh, you know Jimmy Senior and, and his pal. It's like about you know two men almost bonding and over like running this chip van and and that, their relationship and there's you know it's funny but it's quite poignant as well at times. Absolutely, I found that over all, all through the whole of the the, the trilogy that that that
1: uh, he just gets that balance fantastic right between kind of serious and poverty and, and hard times and uh, you know difficult times in a country where there's troubles up the road and all of that and he you managed to bring all that together and just find the warmth and the humanity in it all so yeah he's a fantastic writer um, and so many books not just the biotin trilogy but he's just really I, I don't know his later books as well i know you, you've read a lot more of them but i really liked all that that stuff And think it's just amazingly like, true rare you just you just believe all this
0: we, we are on to your next book choice, and that is a book by James Robertson called To Be Continued.
1: Yeah, the, To Be Continued came out well, a couple of years ago now, and it's a slight surprise. We've got to consider uh, Robertson, he's one of several people I think you can argue has been the, the most important Scottish writer right now our generation. But you think of him as uh, James Ryan, quite, quite greaty um, and, and, and dark and, and difficult so much, but serious books, The fanatic, Joseph Knight, uh, Gideon Mack, all those books. Landlady, still that kind of stuff. This is this is a departure. This this is a mad book. This is a genuinely mad book. It's got ghost trains. It's got whiskey smugglers. It's got a talking toad, which is called Mungo and, and looks and sounds like Chick Chick Murray. It doesn't. It's not happy just having doppelgangers in that Scottish tradition, which I think we talked about before. It's got a triple ganger. The whole uh, book is as mad as a box of frogs. Uh, it's just extraordinary. Uh, basically, it's about a guy called Douglas Findhorn Elder. He's just turned fifty, and his life isn't going well. He's been sacked from his job as, as, as the, the, the Scotsman, I think. The one gig that's going, he's hoping, he's going to rekindle his career, and that's to find kind of a celebrated but kind of semi-forgotten Scottish writer who's just turned a hundred years old. So he he has to go on a quest, basically, across Scotland to try and find this woman, and basically he goes through the Highlands, He goes through the road which is which is kidnapped and through the kind of where David and uh, Alan Breck Stewart went. And it's just this crazy, all these crazy people he meets along the way. And, and nobody's quite who they seem. And everybody's pretending to be something else. And it's, it's kind of quite confusing at times. But it's always really funny. And wherever he goes, this frog turns up and has these huge conversations with him. It's just, it's, it's mad. I remember reading it and thinking, you know, um, it's like you've just been on some hallucinogenic
0: drug trip. But it's very funny. It's great. It's just a really great book. Yeah, because I've not I've not read it actually. I wasn't aware of it because I've only ever read or tried to read one of James Robertson's books, which was *And the Landlay Still*. And I think if I was to be the guest on *Read All About It* podcast, that would that would be a contender for a book you couldn't be paid. I couldn't be paid to read again. I, I think. I think it was worthy but dull, and I, and, I, and I was so looking forward to reading it, and again, it's one of those books where you kind of, there's no doubt in terms of the quality of the writing, but it just, so I really struggled with it, so it, obviously I would, I would see his books and his name in bookshops and stuff, but because of that experience, I'd kind of shied away from, from his other novels.
1: I know what you mean by The Lanley Still, and I think it, it is a bit, uh, love or hate it. Um, it's, it's actually probably my least favourite novel. I like it more than you do, um, but it's probably my least favourite. But for some people, it's the best. And it's quite, I've got a few friends who, you know, agree on books, but they, they, they love that book in a way that I don't. Um, I, I love uh, Joseph Knight and Gideon Mag. They're different from too. There's another book called, um, it's the one about the, the bombing, uh, other bombing the, the plane over Lockerbie, um, the, the Professor of Truth which I thought was a fantastic novel. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, don't put any of that put you off at all. I mean, I, th- I think you like this. It is truly a mad book. I mean, in some ways, it is trying to do a kind of a mad, surreal look at post-referendum Scotland. That's kind of what it's doing. I think underneath it, there's a kind of a serious intent. But you don't have to care about that. You know, you just you just read it for the mad story that's there. And again, like, as I said before, all these books, comedic as it may be, they've got, there's darker elements to them. I mean, Douglas's life is actually pretty bad, you know. Um and also his father's dying, and his father has dementia. Um, so there's lots of things about real life, you know, that go on, which which darken the, the the landscape a wee bit. But it still just rises above every now and then. And some of it is just like all great comedy books. It's just it's just a uh, slapstick. It's just funny, and mad stuff that happens. It's just full of tricks and clever little trinkets. But it's but it's also I think a warm book. But again, I will go back to the *Side of Rosie* and *Pickwick like Papers*. I think what I like about all these novels is. They're all quite warm, and and the the Baritone novels too, they they like the people they're writing about.
0: We are at the halfway stage of this Read All About It podcast extra, where Crystal and I are chatting about some of our favourite funny books, and we're on to book number six. And that's another choice of mine. And that's Candide by Voltaire. And this is one of the, the books that I came to in the back of a podcast episode where Paul Lyons, who's a railway historian, he'd uh, recommended that. Not only recommended it, he gave me a loan of his copy, which he'd had for about 40 years, which I read the book, but slightly terrified in case I, I did any damage to it. It's a very short book. I think, going back to what we were talking about at the start, I think you can see the real influence of Don Quixote. In this book, Candide is this young boy who's living in this, you know, big sort of castle and under the, the largesse yes of the, the baron there, and, and the rumour is that he's an illegitimate son of one of the, the baron's transgressions, but he's he's favoured and he's he's living this privileged lifestyle, and then through a kind of mix-up with the, the baron's daughter, he's banished and he's almost going on a, on a quest to, to get back and try and, and win her hand. And it, it's just slightly... it's Some of it's farcical, you know, because at various times the, the main characters, most of them all seem to die and then sort of reappear. That they actually... Uh, so it's kind of like slightly, that's the farce of it. It's a, sat- a satirical uh, commentary on what was going on in terms of the politics and religion at the time. And it's one of those books where there's lots of references, reference notes at the back. And it was one of those books where I actually did keep going back to the end of the book to just find out what the, the kind of reference the joke was. And I actually, it was fine because that's just the way I ended up reading it. And it was... It was a great book recommendation from Paul Lyons, actually, and I found there was there was parts of it that were very, very funny. Again, it's a book that I think if somebody had just said, even without me seeing the book, I would have just thought, mm, I'm not sure, because it's about 300 years, 250 years old. Again, it's very short, but very, very readable, and there are a few good laughs in it.
1: It's one of, my, one of my my wife's favourite books. Uh, Moira loved it. It um, was one that she had to do for studying French at university. And everybody kind of groaned, you know, Voltaire and they're so old. And it's, 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 you know was one of these books, zillions of the books, there's always a whole library about it, the philosophy and all that. Blah, blah. So she said she, she kind of dreaded it. And it's one of the few books she remembers really well from university and loved it. Could be bored with all the lectures on it, but <laughs> I really like the book, which is always a good sign. I think they can survive all that kind of intellectualism around about um, it. I I did read it at one point, but I, again, completely wrong age. I've been some sh- and was showing off as a kid somewhere, and somebody said this is a really important book, so I kind of I made sure that the, the the title was hanging out my my school bag so everybody could see I was pretending to read Voltaire. I remember I remember things about it slightly, uh, but I, it's another book that I need to read again. Don't oh, know well enough. Uh, and I, I still have that slight fear of it. It's, it's, got, you know, it's such an important book, and every single i has now Voltaire on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we'll have an off podcast Text from Beyond the Grave. Actually,
1: so turn that phone well off.
0: It's a bit like I'm, I'm I'm currently reading War and Peace just now, and I'm just over halfway through it. And again, it's a book that would have intimidated me before, but I've really enjoyed it. And also about halfway through, it just suddenly struck me that Tolstoy had written effectively a soap opera. It's a Russian soap opera. And it's, once you get that in the head, apart from the fact that I now hear all the characters talking <laughs> like they're out of EastEnders, even though they're, they're based in Russia. Well, the the next book that you've chosen is, is one that uh, I definitely want to read. And I, I was unaware of it. And it's Pacoon by Spike Milligan. From Voltaire to Spike Milligan. <laughs> Honestly, the plot line of this sounds like the most amazing. I, I can't believe I've never heard of this before.
1: Oh, it's just brilliant. Yeah, I don't understand why it's not better known. But Spike Milligan. and There's other books. Um, Adolf Hitler, my partner's downfall, and a couple of other books are well known. Why Pacoon isn't? I really don't know. Well, I've got one slight theory why it may be now. But for me, it's by far the best he ever wrote. It's the only proper novel he ever wrote, and it is an actual novel. And it's very much in a tradition, I think, that's already started up with Flann O'Brien and people in these kind of slightly wacky, crazy Irish novels that there's been lots of ever since. And it's kind of in that tradition because Dan Milligan was part Irish and and uh, New Ireland. So the the it's basically about Dan Milligan, who is your absolute, after quintessential Irish antihero. He's he's completely lazy. He's feckless. Uh, Basically, the whole world revolves around this point. Uh, he's an emotional wreck. He's, he's completely useless, but you just love him. And they're in the town. He's in the town of Pacoon. And Pacoon, unfortunately, through an oversight, ends up as being uh, the, the dividing line in the after the, uh, the the establishment of the Irish Free State runs right through the, the town of Pacoon. So one half of Pacoon is Northern Ireland and British, and the other half of the town is is the uh, Irish Free Free State. So it's a great backdrop to it. Don't expect great political understandings or, or whatever there, because it's not. It's really, he just uses that idea as a kind of a mad division in the middle of the town. It's not particularly political. At least if it is, it's kind of slightly hidden. It's got one or two things, though, that I think are unbelievable. Quite near the beginning, what really got me, I can't remember how I first got that. I suspect one of my brothers had it. And it was kind of, it was funny. There's a bit quite early on when uh, Milligan, so he uses his own names, alright, yeah, Dan Milligan, kind of himself in a way. Uh, wakes up in a field after a night in the baby. And when he, <laughs> still thinks he's just brilliant. When he gets up and he wakes up, he looks down and he's got shorts on and he's got skinny legs. And he does a thing which is quite, I think, uh, daring for a novelist to do. And you see it elsewhere, but he, what they call in theatre? He breaks the fourth wall. So Milligan, Dan Milligan says, who wrote me these legs? So he's aware <laughs> of being written. Which other guy knows that he's written. He says, who wrote me these legs? These are rubbish legs. I want to know who wrote them. Now a thing I've never seen anywhere since, and that is the writer then breaks the football, So the writer, Spike Milligan, starts to talk and says, uh, "Excuse me, sorry for that, but uh, it was me who did that. I know, I know, I'm, I'm rubbish at writing legs. <laughs> I'm quite good at I'm quite good at heads, and I can write some good bikes, but I, I've never written a good leg yet." <laughs> and I just thought that is genius. It's just a phenomenally inventive, uh, very funny, completely pointless book. But I just think does incredibly clever tricks. My my theory about why it might not be um, so open it is it's, I, I reread it. I read read it several times. I do love it. Uh, I reread it a few years ago and oh, politically incorrect. Oh my god! Uh, so you read it now, you go, oh man, it's, it's still it's a bit toe cringing. But uh, I I still think it's uh, I still think it's brilliant. But I suspect it's one of the reasons why. Maybe even at the time it was just a, a bit kind of
0: offhand. But I think it's still worth it. As I say, when I when I just saw the premise of it, I just think that is absolutely a brilliant idea. So it's certainly one I'll maybe investigate. Interestingly, when you were talking about that breaking the fourth wall, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, the main one that rings a bell. Oh, that's Will uh Edward Thompson. Yeah, she's the yeah. she's the the author, and Will Ferrell's yeah. the character, and he's he's aware he hears her voice, and he's he's aware of or her narration, and then things happen, and he's like he's aware that he's been written, and he's he's got to try and find her and stop her from killing him in her book, because right. he's fallen in love with somebody, so it's a, it's a really that's a really clever idea.
1: I relate to it. I think in a way, I remember, I remember seeing it, I'm pretty sure I came out of cinema and said to Morris, and she stole her from Spike, I because like <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of, Spike it just has a very funny. I mean, yeah, yeah it's the same idea, but, but it's quite unusual if I should bring the writer into the, that's the only other one I can think of. There will be other ones, and uh, a lot of Russian literature uh, uh, does that go-go people, doesn't it? I'm sure it does happen elsewhere. But what else I like, it's just a joke, and it, but he does it a few times, that thing about I know I'm not very good at writing legs, I'm good at writing hands. I just think that's quite clever. I think actually some of the things that he's doing, even though it is just completely knockabout. it's not political, it's not a literary novel in any sense, it is a knockabout farce. But I still think that Spike Melinda was an incredibly clever man, and you know, he just knew that he's playing with all sorts of
0: mad ideas. My next choice, which is my fourth book, is a book, a novella by Alan Bennett called The Uncommon Reader. And basically the premise of it is that it's the Queen who, she stumbles upon a mobile library and gets a book out and suddenly reawakens a passion for reading, which becomes so great that her public duties start to uh, to suffer as a result because she becomes obsessed with, with reading. And it's a really, it's a really short and really clever book. And there's there's a section again. I'm just going to read you this wee bit because what happens is because everything's all about pomp and ceremony and regulations etc. So I think her, her her main kind of assistant, the, the query to the Queen, is a guy Sir Kevin who, who finds this interest in, in reading to be quite disconcerting. So uh, this this is just a wee wee short, but and I'm not going to read it in either the the Queen's accent or in Alan Bennett's accent. I'll just read it in my own. Seeing her almost daily meant that Sir Kevin was able to nag the Queen about what was now almost an obsession and to devise different approaches. I was wondering, ma'am, if we could somehow factor in your reading. Once she would have let this pass, but one effect of reading had been to diminish the Queen's tolerance for jargon, which had always been low. Factor in what? What does that mean? I'm just kicking the tyres on this one, (laughs) ma'am, but it would help if we were able to put out a press release saying that, apart from English literature... Your Majesty was re- also reading ethnic classics. <laughs> Which ethnic classics did you have in mind, Sir Kevin? The Kama Sutra? Sir Kevin sighed. I'm reading Vikram Seth at the moment. Would he count? Though the private secretary had never heard of him, he thought he sounded right. Salman Rushdie? Probably not, ma'am. It's brilliant about how he develops this love of literature and just the farce of the, the head of state. And as I say, everything's also regulated and regimented. And it's just a, it's a really. It's a cracking wee book. You know, it's only about 120 pages long, but it's funny and a uh, really clever idea.
1: I don't know at all, and I'm absolutely sold. I've actually of all the books you've mentioned so far. That's the one I'm going to go for next. Uh, I love Bennett. I just love having the Bennett's done. I think he's, he's extraordinarily... I think he's one of these guys that it won't be till he dies that everybody go, you know what? He's one of the greatest writers we've ever had. Uh, just his ability to do all sorts of different things. I think the movies he's written, how different they all are from each other. And, uh, and oddly, I was just talking before this about Talking Heads, I don't know if you ever seen Talking Heads, 1980s, 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, I think, maybe a bit earlier than that. Uh, two series of television dramas which are so good for the lockdown because it's the only thing I've ever seen it. Basically, one person talks directly to camera, uh, talking about breaking the fourth wall. There's no reason given, just that each uh, episode has a character who talks directly to you at the other side of the television screen without trying to justify who it is. And they are all fantastic. They're all heartbreaking, and they're all incredibly funny. Um, so he's just such a clever writer, then. So yeah, I've loved everything I've ever, I've ever read. I've not really read any of his fiction. I've read some short stories, but I've, I like his, uh, his biography and his, his kind of uh, diary writing. So that sounds
0: brilliant, Paul. it sounds really good. Brilliant. We are on to your last choice, Chris, and that is a book called No Word from Gurb by Eduardo Mendoza.
1: Yeah, I had to double-check that this was definitely available in English because you managed to get into conversation, I've will, I will never read, read it in Spanish, darling. So it's it's a really, really famous book in Spain. And I had to check if it was in English, and it is. Uh, it's been translated and it is available. And it's just it's one of the... I just remember falling about laughing at this book, which is a very, very funny book. So basically, Mendoza is still writing out. In fact, right now I'm reading another one of his books, i uh, re-reading of his books that I just love than he does, Mendoza. Uh, there's a few of his books translated. Uh, I'm surprised that more haven't been because he's he's massive in the Spanish-speaking world. But it seems to be slow in getting that translated here. Anyway, so it's a, it's a mad idea. Two spacemen from some planet you never find out where come to Earth to, to just study Earth uh, and, and see. I, I don't think it's even, it's even explained why particularly. They just do. They come here to study Earth for some reason. Uh, and the can and the main guy and you never find out his name. He goes by different names all the time. He's he can shapeshift. They can both shapeshift, so they can be whatever they want. They can. So it's a novel that can shape and gender bend to become, become women. They can become uh, famous people, real people. They become anything they want. So Gerb, who's the, the more junior of the two kind of officers on this uh, intergalactic uh, spaceship that, that lands in Barcelona in the late nineteen uh, late 1980s, on just on the the kind of the build up to the the Olympics in Barcelona, Gerb turns himself into Madonna for some reason. And he hitchhikes and gets hitchhiked very, very easily. We like Madonna in the late 1980s. Uh, and then he, he, he gets lost. So the other guy whose name you never, whose specific name you never find, it, spends the rest of the book trying to find Gerb. So actually Gerb is a bit of another either here or there. That's about what we call them. It doesn't really matter. It's just what gets the spaceman going through Barcelona in the late 1980s. And it's just hilarious. It's just looking at any city. So it happens be Barcelona, but it could be Glasgow or London or anywhere. And he just has fun with, you know, that thing you can do. It's all, why did he do that, humans? What's all that about? And he just and, and he, he talks to various people. And he just sends up all these different people, policemen and bartenders and people around about and snobs and all of that. He just has such fun with everybody as he goes around the place. And he and he becomes real people. There's a really famous kind of the Spanish version of Madonna at the time was a woman called Marta Sanchez. And at one point, he becomes Martha Sanchez. So there's all this mad stuff that he can just do. So like a lot of the stuff we talked about in some of the books that you mentioned and James Robertson's book, one of the funny things is by being outside of reality, you can do whatever you want as long as it's funny. And this is just a mad look at a modern city uh, by an outsider who can't believe how crazy, stupid and inept humans are and has a great laugh at it all. But again, like the other ones, it's got its dark side too. You know, he can't understand why we run our society the way we do. Why are why there so many? And he just doesn't get it. Why are there poor people and rich people? Why do they just share it? He's far more obvious for everybody. You know, he just, and there's such basic stuff like that. He just looks at human society and laughs at it, but also
0: points out what's well, really dark about it. Because there was a book that came out more recently called The Humans by Matt Haig, uh-huh. which again, takes the premise of you know somebody who's i think he's living in a human's body but he's he's really an alien but he's i'm not sure if he's getting called back to his mother planet that has to prove what is the the value of of humans and why humans humanity and the earth should be saved and again it's very funny but i think it's funny because it, it then kind of it reflects on the absurdity of of our life and our behavior as, as well and it kind of some of that seems to tie in with uh, no words from Gurb. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think it's not that unusual,
1: is it? um I mean, Third rock from the Sun in television terms, um am sure it's H.G. Wells' novels. And, you know, the outsider who comes and looks at us with a fresh eye, I think probably goes right back to Voltaire and other places. So, again, these books have all the things in common, I think. And quite often it is that outsider, the, the person who doesn't, you know, the, the Mr. Pickwick who doesn't really obey the rules. None of these books do the people obey the rules, and therefore, you know, they, they, they see the world in, it in a different way. So, yeah, I think, I think it's not, I don't think it's particularly... Uh, Original in that sense. Again, it's the way he tells them. And to be honest, I've never read it in English. And sometimes comedy in particular can lose something uh, in translation. So I don't know if the English translation is, is as funny as the Spanish. My guess is it would be. Because it's not really a linguistic humour. It's more about the madness
0: of how humans set their out. Set what I'll do is I'll maybe read it in English then and we can we can compare uh, the, the amount of laughter we have in it. Perfect. Let's try that. See, see how it goes. <laughs> We are on to the the tenth and final book in this podcast, and it's my last choice, and it's uh, Graham Greene novel Our Man in Havana*. That really again, surprised
1: me. I saw your your uh, suggested list. I thought, wow, it's a that's a funny book.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of liked the idea of a uh, you know that kind of kind of farcical black comedy where the the vacuum cleaner salesman ends up getting recruited by MI6 and gets sent out to Cuba and. He's he's just needing the money and then starts uh, manufacturing these uh, fictitious reports of of various goings on, which, you know, is interesting because it kind of I think it does mirror the kind of almost like the the Cuban Missile Crisis, although I think it might have come out before that. But then it kind of gets taken seriously. And then, uh, you know, what uh, results out of that? And I just remember, again, I don't know if it was laugh out loud funny, but I just I kind of like the whole idea of it as a kind of as a black comedy.
1: You know, I'm going to have to reread read it, because I, 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 I love that, Green, and I have, I've always I have all right, I want to go back to I went through a phase at some point, and I read everything. And I don't remember that being particularly funny. Um, I remember really liking it. I remember really, I just, like, the whole Cuban background to it. And I do remember he sends up, I do remember it's all false reports and all that, but I didn't quite realise. So I think maybe I was being a bit poor-faced.
0: Uh, cause I think he was, so he was having to, so obviously to justify, I think he, he breaks up with his wife, and he's got a... His money because he has to finance you know for his daughter's lifestyle and so he, he gets this job and then i think he ends up he's like taking he's either taking photographs or doing sketches of what are basically parts for vacuum cleaners and sending them back as if this is like you know some military installation that's been built in the, the cuban mountains you know again it's in back in london they start to take this seriously and this kind of dictates you know how what their policy is and, and what's happening uh, in relation to cuba
1: clearly my memory of books is isn't nearly good enough huh? I remember the disinformation, I, I didn't quite, <laughs> quite realise it was that absurd. But Graham, Mean does that quite a lot, even in dark novels, isn't he? He is quite often funny in uh, amongst all the kind of stuff that he's doing. He's, he's got a, a sense of the absurd of how the, how the whole kind of intelligence services and other things are just
0: absurd. You were talking earlier on about the the language and of of the Spike Milligan book, and I I won't read the, the very first sentence. And Our Man in Havana* is quite shocking in terms of uh, the racist reference it, it makes in it. So again, it's of its it is of its time. I think it was first published in in the 1950s. So I think maybe it would it would shock 21st century sensibilities in terms of 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 some of that as well, which I, I think a lot of these books do because of not just the kind of subject matter, but how they refer to different things. And different people in different races, etc., and, and it, it's like even it kind of jumps out at you and think, "Whoa! How did that? How did they publish that?"
1: Yeah, I wonder, if, I wonder. I wonder too if that is particularly so of comedy novels, and the sensibilities are very, very different. So yeah, I think I think it might be the case. And I'm trying the ones that I've got here. I can see a bit with side of a to be honest. I know there are bits of side of Rosie that for 21st you know audience much younger than me, they might take their breath away at times where you know they wouldn't have done it at the time. Pacoon certainly. Guru, but don't think so. it's modern enough. So yeah, I do think sensibilities have changed. But, but I always really hope that you know we can read and be aware of these things and be aware that we don't do that anymore, and that's not a great way of uh, of describing other genders or uh, ethnic communities or whatever. But still, I see what's good in a book.
0: And that is the end of another one of these podcast extras, Chris. We we have ticked off another topic for discussion, and hopefully giving people a few book recommendations along the way as well.
1: Absolutely, and that was a great fun one to do actually uh, and like all the rest I've now got a list of four new books to read and three books to reread um, and that's just in today so yeah, nothing else, there's just uh, loads of stuff to read and it's great fun to just remember these books and talk about them, I've enjoyed it, thanks Paul.
0: Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you thought about it you can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at Podcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.